We're so appreciative of the teachers and other workers we have in our children's ministry. Uh, we have a lot of youth workers. Used to call them coaches and sponsors. What do you call you guys now? Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just, just very valuable people to us. Um, many people give their time and attention to our children and young people. Their efforts really make a difference. And so we are going to honor them today, and we thank God for them. It's not always to be a, easy to be a teacher, as you know. Uh, it can be challenging, demanding. Uh, kids can test your patience like few others can. Maybe you've heard about the young kindergarten uh, class teacher who was trying to help one of her boys get on his snow boots and time ready to go home. And So she's pulling hard as she could while he's pushing and can't get the boots on, finally get the first one on, then the second one, and she kind of and just leans back. She realizes she's starting to work up a sweat just trying to get his boots on him. And he says, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. And so they had to pull him off and go through the whole rigmarole again. And so she finally got him back on the little boy's feet. He sat back and he said, they're not my boots. <laughs> and she said, oh, my goodness. So she pulled him off. As soon as she pulled him off, he says, no, they're actually my brother's. My mother made me wear them today. And she said, oh, boy, one more time. They go through all the boots and get him back on the feet. And, and she's so excited. She got it all together. She stands him up. She puts his winter coat on. And she says, uh, so where's your mittens? Says, oh, I stuffed them in the toe of my boots. Uh, you, you know, you get challenges all the time. Kids, you just got to love them. Being a teacher of any kind takes a special kind of person. And being a volunteer teacher takes an even more special person, doesn't it? Somebody doesn't get any pay, doesn't get hardly any recognition. We'll give them a little recognition this morning, but week after week, uh, they're giving of their time and energy, and we really appreciate them. What was teaching like back in the days of the Bible? Uh, do you know? 2,000 years ago, or even more, Zondervan's encyclopedia tells us that it wasn't like it is today. Ancient Jewish education was entirely religious education. There was no mathematics and reading and writing and all the other stuff that we teach today. In Old Testament times, there was no textbook except the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures themselves. All, all education consisted of the reading and study of the scriptures. There was no recognized title for the teacher, so they didn't go around saying, this is my teacher and so on. For the Jews, the real center of education was the home. So the teachers were mom and dad. The responsibility of educating the child was on the parents. Institutionalized schools like we have today, and uh, public school, private, and so on, were an unknown Bible times. It was up to mom and dad to make sure their kids were taught about God and about life. The Old Testament prophets, Zondervan tells us, were recognized to be divinely inspired teachers. And by both the spoken and written word, they taught the Israelites what God's will was for them. Now, the priests got in on that, too. Sometimes they would help with some of the teaching and help uh, undertake the religious instruction of the people. Well, the teachers we have here at New Hope, uh, all the different teachers, young or old, little children up through adults, um, stand in a long line of faithful teachers and preachers of God's word. This line includes people like Moses and Samuel and Ezra and Isaiah and Jeremiah. So you're in pretty good company. 
You're in the company of people who have tried faithfully to deliver the Word of God to God's people through the years. It is an awesome responsibility to be a teacher. It's an awesome responsibility to teach the Word of God and put yourself in that position where you're the communicator. You're the one helping people to understand. So it's a responsibility not to be taken lightly, especially when you're teaching God's Word to impressionable young children, right? Because they pretty much believe whatever you tell them up to a certain age. Maybe it used to be 10, now it's probably 5. But they, they just absorb. They accept it as gospel truth, whatever you're teaching them. So the responsibility is very clear. Teachers of children need to make sure that what they're teaching is absolutely true and based on good authority. Now many of us are aware of what James says about the tongue and how easy it is to make a slip of the tongue, to say something we never intended, or maybe even to say something very hurtful and damaging to someone else. James says that our tongues are a restless evil, doesn't he? James 3. He says that our tongues are full of deadly poison, and probably we have received some of these things. Sometimes we're the giver of those things when we're not thinking. So James warns us not to offend or to hurt other people with the careless things that we might see. Say and, and he tells us to use extreme caution then. Do you realize he starts that whole passage in James by talking to the teachers? First thing James says is this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what he says is perfect, able to keep his whole body in check. None of us is perfect. None of us says the right thing every time that we should say. And teachers have to say a lot. They have to tell their lesson, of course, but they also say a lot of things they never intended to say, things that they never prepared to say, things they never set out an outline for, that in the interaction with a the child, they're just speaking their heart or speaking whatever's in their mind. It is way too easy to misspeak, and so teachers get in this place where what James says, things come out of your mouth and you wish they hadn't. Things happen uh, in, 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 in the dialogue with the student that maybe you never intended to say. And so the heart must be guarded carefully. And what James says to teachers is that we are put to a higher standard than everyone else. So we ought to use extreme care when we open our mouths, especially to teach. Now, I'm not trying to scare any of you youth workers. I'm not trying to... to, uh, you know, to uh, turn down the number of people that we have that are volunteering and make you feel like, well, I can't teach because probably I'll say something I shouldn't say. I'm trying to just give us all a, an understanding of the difficulty of putting yourself in the position of a teacher of God's Word. By the way, did you hear about the Sunday school teacher who worried that her students would go home and tell stories about what happened in class to the parents? You know, this happens. If you have kids in school, you know that they come home with stories. She finally figured out something she could do about it, and I thought it was pretty clever. Beginning of each year, when she got a new class of students, she would send them a note with every student. And she said this, If you promise not to believe everything that your child says when they come home from school, I promise that I won't believe everything they say happens at home. <laughs> Children are great relayers of everything that's going on. And I'm not trying to make any of our teachers nervous, any of our youth workers nervous. I'm just pointing out the challenge that teachers face. When we take our, uh, on the role of a teacher, we immediately move into this higher standard. 
and we must be very careful that what we teach is the right thing. As a preacher who preaches nearly every week or teaches every week, I often feel the burden to say what is only what is true uh, to God's word. And I can count on some of you to correct me if it's not. I can count on you to say, hey, preacher, what were you talking about there? I didn't understand. Or maybe explain this further. Or maybe I see it a little bit differently. And that, that's a very healthy thing that happens in the body of believers. So why do we need teachers at all? Why do we need teachers in the church anyhow? Why did God say we need teachers? Well, the Apostle Paul answered that question in Ephesians 4. Let's read Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we see several things here. Why are there teachers? Why does God want teachers? In the first few verses it says to equip God's people, to help people prepare for what they need to do and how they need to live their lives, to build up the body of Christ, to strengthen the body of believers, to make the body strong and healthy and growing. And then in the second three verses, verses 14 through 16, the other reasons. He says to prevent the children of God from being deceived, from being misled by false teaching, so that they are equipped in their minds to know truth from error and be able to, to stay on the right path, the narrow path, and also to help us all continue to keep growing until we reach maturity in Christ. Now, I believe that teaching is a calling, the calling from God. And Paul knew what his calling was. He knew what God had wanted him to do with his life, so he gave it everything he had because he believed this is what God has in store for me. This is how God wants me to live. Notice what Paul said about his work for Christ in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He that is, that is Christ is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. You know, these verses first came to my mind and, uh, when I was in my 20s. I had my first uh, church ministry. I was associate minister of a church in Irwin, Tennessee. The preacher's name was Tracy Miller. And one day, Tracy and I were just talking about life, and he was talking about his, his purpose as a preacher, his calling as a preacher. And he said, these are my theme verses right here. Colossians 1, 28-29. Because my job as a preacher is to declare the word of God and to help everybody come to know Jesus more and more. I admonish and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And he said, I don't have enough strength of my own to make this happen, but God's power works in me. And so I count on that every day. 
Our goal is to get the name of Jesus into the hearts of our children, into the hearts of our young people, admonishing them and teaching them in all wisdom because we want to keep them growing in the Lord. We want them to stay faithful to God on through this life and on into eternity. And we need to operate also not under our own strength because we're going to run short. We're going to run out. We're going to deplete ourselves. But when we operate in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ, we can never fail. And his power comes into play and changes even the little that we can do so that much results from it. For Paul, spreading the word of God and getting Jesus into the hearts of people was worthy of his all-out effort and then some. And he counted on Jesus to fill in the rest. Howard Hendricks is a name that some of you will recognize. He passed away in 2013. Some of you may know him as a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he taught there for 60 years. He's a very well-known figure. He's known across the country. Um, he taught to many preachers, many teachers about teaching. That was his expertise. I had the privilege of hearing him one time at a church growth conference out west, but also read several of his articles through the years. And I loved his stories. He told a lot of personal stories about people that had impacted his life, people that helped him become the person that God was helping him to become. And one of these stories I want to share with you today, in his own words, it was basically his testimony. With the kind of start I had in life, he says, I'm sure I could have soon died and gone to hell, and nobody would have particularly cared. I was born into a broken home, my parents having separated when I was born. The only time I ever saw them together was 18 years later when I was called to testify in a divorce court. As a boy, I lived in a neighborhood in North Philadelphia in which they said an evangelical church could never be planted. But God has a fantastic sense of humor whenever anyone decides what can't be done. He led a small group of Christians to band together, buy a little house there, and start a church. One man in the church was named Walt, and he only had a sixth grade education. One day, Walt told the Sunday school superintendent he wanted to start a Sunday school class. That's great, Walt, he's told, but we don't have an opening for you. Walt insisted, however, so the superintendent said, well, good, go out and get a class. Anybody you can find is yours. <laughs> and then Walt came into my community, Howard Hendricks said. First time we met, I was playing marbles out in the concrete. Son, you said, he said, how would you like to go to Sunday school? And I wasn't interested. Anything with school in the word had to be bad news. <laughs> so he said, how about a game of marbles? And that was different. So we shot marbles. And had a great time, though he whipped me in every single game. Now you know, Hendrick says, I lost my marbles early in life. <laughs> By then, I would have followed Walt anywhere. Walt picked up a total of 13 boys in that community for his Sunday school class, of whom nine were from broken homes. Eleven of the 13 are now in full-time vocational Christian work. Actually, I can't tell you much of what Walt said to us, but I can tell you everything about it, because he loved me for Christ's sake. He loved me more than my parents did. He used to take us hiking, and I'll never forget those times. I'm sure we made his bad heart worse, but he'd run all over those woods with us because he cared about us. He was not the most scintillating person in the world, but he was for real. I knew it, and so did everyone else in that class. So you see my interest in teaching is much more than professional. It's also intensely personal. 
and in fact a passion. Because the only reason I have a ministry today is that God brought along my path a committed teacher like Walt. I want you to know if you're a teacher here today, if you're a youth worker, it may not matter so much what you taught. And it's hard for me to say that because it, it does matter that you teach the Word of God. But what you're conveying is life. What you're conveying is your personality as God takes that message through you to another person. And when it is given in genuineness, when it is given in sincerity, when it is given in truthfulness and honesty, transparency about your own life, even the broken parts, even the failed parts, God can use that in a powerful way in another person's life. Do your students know that they have a committed, dedicated teacher like Walt was to his boys? Now, before I stop today and we go into some expressions of appreciation that they've arranged through children and youth ministries, I want to take just a minute to give you the three blessings that I have discovered through my 40 years as a teacher of God's Word. Maybe you teachers and youth workers are discovering some of the same things. The first is just the blessing of watching somebody grow. This watching somebody mature is so cool to watch somebody from beginning to wherever you stop having time with them. You're in a privileged seat as their teacher, really the best seat in the house. And I liken it to what I get to do when I get to do a wedding ceremony. You know, if I'm the preacher and I'm conducting a ceremony, I'm, I'm kind of uh, feel badly for everyone else because I'm right up front. I'm right looking in the bride's face and the groom's face, and I'm seeing every tear, and I'm seeing every quiver, and I'm seeing everything that's going on. That, meal, that moment is such a real moment that people from behind them don't get to see as much of that. And teaching is like that. When you're in there doing the teaching and you're doing the preparation and you're spending the time out of classroom with that student, you are seeing things that nobody else is privy to. The rest of the church may see them for an hour on Sunday or during the middle of the week. You see them in the times when their life maybe is, is, is falling apart or they're struggling, and you help restore them and build them up. And you see the growth. You see the development. And you're in a privileged position because you see their growth firsthand. They have learned many lessons in life during your time, some of which you taught them, some of which you learned together. They have learned how to keep learning on their own. And it's very possible then that you're going to see them continue growing even after they're no longer in your group. They've grown beyond that. You see them now. They're, they're now 5 years old. They're now 7 years old. They're now 12 years old. They're now 15 years old. And you still see them growing in the Lord. And you know that somehow you had a small part in that. And there is great joy. There's a blessing in that. There's also a blessing in helping someone get closer to God. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says to people, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And when you have students that are seeking God, you know that they need a guide. They're out there. They're trying to you know, maneuver their way through the wilderness. They need somebody who's a guide, who's perhaps nothing more than somebody who's learned a few things, a few tricks along the way of the trade, a, a few of the footholds, a few of the places to walk carefully, a few of the places where you can can stride or run freely. A person who is willing to kind of show them the ropes of life. It's more than just teaching someone to know the Bible, isn't it? It's teaching them to know God. It's teaching them to appreciate what God has done for them in Christ. Teaching them to, to uh, understand what God is continuing to do in their life. Uh, I know Dan was really instrumental in talking with 
Fanny and, and Arellison going through the 101 class. What a joy it's going to be for Dan to continue watching Manny grow and develop and mature because he was at the beginning and he watches this happening. And he was there when there was an introduction made between God and a new believer, a new child of God. And all of us got to witness his baptism. And we get to see this relationship grow. And when we watch somebody grow closer to God, it's a really neat thing. Uh, we help them learn how to talk to God. We learn how to, to discern God's will for their life. How to keep growing closer. And so it's a really cool thing, a really neat blessing when we get to see somebody grow closer to God and they see God, uh, we see God working in them. Third blessing is, is uh, an eternal blessing. To see someone change for eternity. Uh, to see someone touch for eternity. In some cases, our teaching is the difference between life and death, the difference between heaven and hell. In many cases, our teaching is what keeps somebody encouraged in their faith and growing. We may have a lot of fun, sometimes especially in children or youth ministry, playing with the kids, having fun with the kids, but what we must never forget that what we're doing can have an eternal impact on their lives and on their hearts. This is serious business, even in the midst of the fun. This is life-changing business, uh, even when we do a lot of neat trips and whatever together. There is an urgency to our calling, and it's important that we hang in there because you need to be there at those moments when your child, your student, your uh, young person in your care needs you the most. You need to be there for that time and make the difference. We pray that all of our students will remain true to the Lord for a lifetime. We know statistically when they hit 18 to 25, many of them will bail out. Many of them will stop going to church. Many of them will uh, have the greatest test of their life as they go off to school or to the workplace. We pray that what the foundation we've given them in the meantime, up to that point, will carry through and they will come back to the Lord. We pray that we'll find ways to continue engaging involving those who are in that age group as they grow past some of the care that we're talking about today, that their faith would become real for their own, themselves and they'll be strong in the faith. And we pray that one day all of us would hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your master. How many of you ever heard of a man named Edward Kimball? Anybody? Probably not. Uh, Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, but it was a long time ago, over 100 years ago. He's just a simple Sunday school teacher in Chicago, taught a class full of teenage boys. And one day he got a new student who was kind of a boy from the country, just moved to the city, didn't know anything about the city, didn't know anything about church, and all of a sudden he's in his class. And when he came to his class, Kimball's kind of figuring this out, but he doesn't know the boy, and so he calls on him. He says, would you please read the next passage from the Gospel of John? Well, the boy didn't know what the Gospel of John was. And so he looked it up in the passage, pulled out the, the exact passage, brought it over to the boy, and, and asked him to read. Well, he found out he wasn't a very good reader either. And so it was very embarrassing. Kind of some of the other boys were making fun and so on, but he said, no, I see potential in this kid, so I'll keep working with him. A few months later, he went down to where he found out the boy was working. He's working in a shoe store. He found out he was in the back room just kind of moving boxes around in the inventory and so on. And so he went back there, and on that afternoon, he talked to him about Jesus Christ, and he led him to the Lord, to his personal faith in Jesus. 
boy's name was Dwight. Turns out it was Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody eventually left the shoe store and became one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time. But that's not the end of the story. You see, Moody, whose international speaking took him to the British Isles, once preached in a little chapel there, pastored by a young man named Frederick Meyer. In his sermon that day, Moody told a story, an emotionally charged story about a certain Sunday school teacher that he had known who personally went to each student in his class and led every one of them to Christ. That message changed Frederick Meyer's entire ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist like Moody. And over the years, he came to America several times, inspiring people as he did. And once in Northfield, Massachusetts, a young preacher sitting in the back row heard Meyer say something. He just caught his attention. He said, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? Well, he was put in such an unusual way, he's just stopped. Am I willing to be made willing? And that remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God in his life. And Chapman became one of the greatest evangelists, most effective evangelists of his day. He began holding preaching crusades all over. A volunteer in his association, his organization, was a guy named Billy Sunday. Some of you know him. He had been a professional bat baseball player, and he just would kind of tag along and help set up for the Crusades. But as he did so, he learned how to preach by watching the other preacher, Chapman, preach night after night. Sudden, Sunday uh, eventually took over Chapman's ministry, and he became one of the best-known evangelists of the 20th century. In the great arenas of the nation, he used his preaching to turn thousands of people to Christ. And inspired by a Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of Christians there dedicated themselves to reaching their city for Christ. And so they invited, decided to invite another evangelist, Mordecai Ham, next guy, to hold a series of evangelistic meetings there in 1932. And in the crowd was a lanky 16-year-old who sat there spellbound by the message of the white-haired preacher. Finally, in the third or fourth night, he came forward because the guy seemed to be talking to him. And he responded and gave his life to Christ. His name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham, the man who undoubtedly has undoubtedly communicated the gospel to more people in the world than probably anyone else in history. And all of this started because of one faithful Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Isn't that interesting? Millions have been affected by this one Sunday school teacher's decision to teach a Sunday school class of teenage boys. Millions have been affected by his decision to go into a shoe store and share Christ with one person, a boy named Dwight. And so what you do every day is important. Every day it counts. Can something like this happen today? Of course it can. God wants us to change our world by making ourselves willing and available to him. You can make an eternal difference in someone's life by accepting the call that God has placed upon your life. That's the summary. That's the conclusion of the matter today. You can make a difference by accepting the call that God has put on your life. If you're a teacher, you're a youth worker, I just pray for you that God will use you to change the lives of your students forever. Now we're going to pray.
we're going to invite the parents who have children in nursery or little lambs to go get them during the prayer, bring them back in. The other children are going to be brought in. Teachers and workers will come in. And uh, we're going to share together in just a few minutes of appreciation giving. So let's pray together. Parents, you go ahead and get your children if you need to. Father, thank you for this uh, time, this day of appreciation. Day when we can just uh, know that, that the efforts that we put forth week after week are important, valuable, can be life-changing, can be eternal in their impact. And I pray today that you would be upon each of our hearts, uh, that we would be grateful for the teaching. Maybe a story has come to our mind of someone that touched our life in a special way. Maybe there's somebody that, <clears throat> just in our own mind, we would lift up today in prayer of thanks for the impact they've had. I can think of some of the teachers I've had. I can think of youth ministers that I've had uh, who have changed the course of my life just because they cared. We give praise to you for them and for the faithful teachers and leaders down through the years who have seen the importance of sharing your word and sharing life and helping us to grow in Christ. Bless us now as we bless our teachers today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, who's going to come up and make some presentations?